and then we're going to jump in. Heavenly Father, across all of our V1 campuses, across all of our V1 hubs, and across all of the V1 revival homes, I pray that this word goes deep into the soil of their soul. God, that you bring things into alignment. Lord, that the old is broken off, that we step into the new. Father, we don't want to hear my opinion or anyone else's opinion. We need your word. We need your opinion. And God, I thank you that you would establish your government on earth as it is in heaven. And God, that your infrastructure would be established. And God, that you would raise up leaders and yet you would demote leaders. God, that you would bring people out of the wrong position and put them into the right position. And God, that as this sermon's being preached, that the body would come into full alignment and that there would be peace as a result of this message. I pray, open up their ears to hear it, God. Cause the stony heart to be turned into a heart of flesh. God, I pray that they would be recipients of your word today in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Okay, the title of this message is very much like last week. Last week was the church exists to fill in the blank. I wanna quickly review that what I was trying to break down last week is there is this time after the ascension of Jesus Christ, when the Holy Spirit entered the earth and came to dwell in believers, and then before the emperor Constantine made this government sanction perversion of a religious infrastructure that they called the church. And there was this window of time when we had apostles and teachers and evangelists and prophets and people were speaking in tongues, the tongues of angels as well as the tongues of men and declaring the gospel. And, and there were people that were being held accountable. And there, was, there were apostles writing letters we call epistles that became the canonized word of God. And the, the, the church was growing explosively in non-Christian environments, in Greek environments, in Roman-occupied environments. And, you know, it was exploding. And, and they were going on these journeys. And, and what I was trying to provoke our church to was let... let may, May we not replicate your previous church. May we not replicate a movement from a 100 years ago, but may we go back to the time after the ascension of Christ, but before Constantine, and become the real church again. And so I encourage you to go back and watch that, because I have received no less than 200 testimonies. My inbox was flooded. I couldn't even keep up with it. And so God is gonna continue for more today. So part two, so go back and watch part one if you missed it, is the church fails when, fill in the blank. Everybody go, ooh. The church fails when. I believe this can be a healing message. The church fails when. So let's just jump in. I'm gonna give you seven reasons why the church fails. Now if I don't get to all seven, are you gonna be mad at me? Or should I try to get to all seven? Okay, I'm gonna try to get to all seven. The first one's gonna take the longest, but it's gonna be the most beneficial in many ways. The church fails when, fill in the blank, when we lose sight of our original purpose. We lose sight of our original purpose. Let me just dive into this. When the church becomes distracted from its primary purpose, which is worshiping God, making disciples, and serving others, we lose our effectiveness. So we're gonna look at Acts chapter two, and then in Acts chapter two, verse 42, we have the original design of the church, the way it functioned before it was corrupted. 
This is what they did. So hold, hold on. It says, and they devoted themselves. Everybody say, I'm devoted. Tap your neighbor next to you and say, I'm devoted. And they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and the ant of the fellowship to the breaking of bread. Somebody said, come on now, Jesus. I love the word of God, the breaking of bread. Oh, my gluten, my non-gluten tolerant. Okay. And they devoted themselves to prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs. Say many. Not a few, not every once in a while, not at the conference only. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had many things in common. So let, let me just kind of break this down. This is the prescription for the original church. So number one, they were devoted to the teachings of the apostles. Now the original language here was Greek. It was written in Greek. So let's go back to Greek for the word devoted. Say it again, devoted. The Greek term devoted, it has a few connotations here. Steadfast. Everybody say steadfast. Continual attendance. Say the phrase continual attendance. Unwavering commitment. Say unwavering commitment. That, those are the definitions for the Greek word that we have here, devoted. So they were devoted. Watch this. They had a steadfast adherence to the apostles' teachings. They had a continual attendance to hear the apostles' teachings. And they had an unwavering commitment to hear the apostles' teachings. This is the original word. Now, let me just say this. We don't need man's opinion. We need the word of God. We need to adhere to the word of God. I don't need something that sounds good. I don't need another good illustration. I don't need a good visual. You know, give me another visual. I need the word of God. This generation is desiring the word of God. They're hungering for the preacher. Don't tell me your opinion. Preacher, don't give me something clever. Preacher, I don't care that it alliterates and it rhymes. You can use the words uh, that starts with the letter C, four words in a row. you're not blowing our mind anymore. Rightly divide the scriptures. We need the word of God. Come on, anybody, anybody. And so we've gone through this era of getting brilliant illustrations <laughs> that didn't rightly divide the word of God. Matter of fact, we've done a better job of decontextualizing scripture than putting it in proper context. And can I just tell you, if you're listening to people on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram that are constantly blowing your mind, it's probably because they're dispensing heresy more than scripture. There comes a point where we should desire to hear the word of God. And, and sometimes when we go always looking for a new revelation, sometimes the abundance of new revelation is the evidence of heresy. There, it's like, if you, matter of fact, can I just tell you something? I repeat myself a lot on purpose. One of the biggest rebukes the Holy Spirit gave me when, in my younger years as a minister is he said, you say the right thing too few times. If you'll repeat yourself, it'll saturate and begin to transform the people that I called you to disciple. I repeat myself so much, my hope is that one day you might be able to say it without me. 
So the goal of a preacher is not to blow your mind with something new. It's to repeat truths until it becomes who you are. It's to say the right thing enough times. If the gospel is boring to you, it's because you're not doing it. If the fundamentals of the faith are boring to you, it's because you're not living it out. There's something about us we should crave to hear the word of God. But sometimes we chase something new because we're, we're creating an appetite for something that tickles our ears. And so they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. The next one is they devoted themselves to fellowship. Guys, I'm gonna say this in love, but if you've gone to this church for some time and you don't have friends, it's because you're not friendly. If you go to this church and you say, I haven't met anyone, it's because you haven't introduced yourself to anyone. And if you only introduce yourself to three people in a congregation of 300, then you got to introduce yourself to more people. And see, the default mode of every human being is to be childlike, and that's how you started. And I've got a nine-year-old named Everly. And everywhere I take Everly, she makes new friends. When, they, when they're with each other, hey, what's your name? My name's Everly. You want to play? And they become lifelong best friends within 20 minutes, and then we leave the McDonald's play place. That's who you used to be before someone hurt you. So if you come into church and you're like, but I'm, I'm introverted. No, you're not. You don't meet kids like that, not with each other. And so what happens is your default mode, and that's why Jesus said to be child, you, ha- you have to be childlike to come into the kingdom. And some of you are childish, not childlike. And so God wants to bring you, introduce yourself, go meet some people, shake their hand. You did it at the bar, now do it at the church. You used to need liquid courage in the form of alcohol, but now you have the new wine of the Holy Spirit. Get some boldness about you. Shake somebody's hand, give them a hug, and take a risk on a relationship. You took a risk on five toxic, abusive boyfriends. Take a risk on somebody in the local church. Some of you, come on, I'm not going to believe you're like, well, I didn't meet anybody at V1 Church, so I had to go. The reason why that other church pursued you so much is because they have an Ahab and Jezebel spirit, and they want to control you, and they're obsessed with numbers and they're all over you. The reason why they pursued you is to use you. The reason why nobody's overly pursuing you at V1 is because we don't use people here. Lord, rewind that, somebody. So they devoted themselves to fellowship. Devoted themselves to fellowship. You've, okay, can I give you an equation? They do, Thank you, Julie. <laughs> My wife just said, we should put like a mic over here in this section. So that, that's the crowd mic I want to hear. So here's the thing. They, I want to crack this open for you. This is uh, Acts chapter 2. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings. That means a leader's teachings. Not the teachings of their friend at the home Bible study. They, did, they said, they, and I, the Bible is so intentional. The older I get and the more devastated I see believers by false infrastructure that God never laid out in scripture, the more emphatic I am about preaching and just destroying it. I'm serious. They didn't devote themselves to the teaching of each other. They devoted themselves to the teaching of a person above them. And then they begin to break it down from there. And so what, and then they have fellowship. Now watch. If you have fellowship, devotion to fellowship without a devotion to the teachings of a leader, you have community, not a church. The church is not a community, it's a covenanted body. 
Jesus didn't shed his blood for a community. The YMCA is a community. Your local martial arts gym is a community. The key club is a community. We are not a community. We are a covenanted body because blood is shed to bring yourself into covenant to have that relationship. And so even when you get married, the marriage bed of ancient times, they would come out with the sheets and show the blood from when they consummated that marriage because blood is always shed to establish covenant and covenant is more powerful than community and it's more powerful than commitment. I'm, I know this is, I'm, this is my probably too, I probably went too deep for them. Okay. Because when you treat the church like a community, you leave a community. But when you treat it like covenant, you build it, you strengthen it, you devote yourself to it. And so when you have fellowship, but not, okay, but then watch this. But then if you have a devotion to somebody's teachings, but not fellowship, you have, then what you have is a teacher, not a pastor. So I have over 300,000 subscribers on YouTube. I don't pastor 300,000 people, but I teach them. As of right now, our monthly metrics is I reach about 10 million people a month with my teachings. I don't pastor 10 million people. I become your pastor when you come into fellowship with our church. So when you go to a connect group and you meet people and they're known and they hold you accountable and you go through our processes of growing and developing your covenanting. So it's the equation is you need a devotion to a leader's teachings and you need a devotion to fellowship. And then another requirement, I love this and I know you love this, is the breaking of bread. Because the longest line we ever had for all in team night was for barbecue. The Lord rebuke you. I was getting video, look at our campus, look how many people come, like they didn't come to learn leadership, they came because we put barbecue on the flyer. Some of you are like, and it was good too. Okay, so I know it sounds like I'm being mean, but I'll get there, I'll get there. The original church, Ephesians chapter four, verse 11 through 13. This is how the original church was designed. And he gave the, and he, who's the he? Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gave the apostles, gave the prophets, gave the evangelists, gave the shepherds, and gave the teachers. Why? He gave them to the church to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Who are the saints? Oh, well, uh, I, I, I know the saints. I, I used to pray to them. Paul, uh, Peter. No, no, no. You are the saints being referenced, tap your neighbor and tell them you're a saint. If you've accepted the finished work of the cross, repented of your sins, and Jesus Christ is your Messiah Savior, you are a saint. Now everybody say, I'm a saint. Come on, husbands, let your wife hear that. I'm a saint. We are the saints. And when Constantine turned statues into what he called saints, people started praying to them instead of being watchmen on the wall and being intercessors that actually say, I'm not talking to Peter. I have become like Peter because the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead is on the inside of me. Why would I pray to Paul who saw in part when I have communion with the Holy Spirit who knows in fullness and I'm not praying to saints because I am one. We are the saints, but I want to go, this is part two. You're like, Pastor Mike, you screamed that last week. Okay, stay with me. Part two, and he, Jesus, gave us the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. If you've only went to a church 
If you went to a church your entire life where they only had a pastor, then you've only been equipped by one-fifth of the entire formula for being equipped. If you went to a church that only had a pastor, it's, then you only receive the equipping you can receive from a pastor. It's real quiet right now because I think I'm talking to 99% of all of you. Because this is, it was not God's design. Matter of fact, I don't have time to do this. I, this could be a four-hour sermon. I'm that passionate about it. One of the reasons why pastors keep falling in America is because we put the burden of all five gifts on one person now. And when you make a pastor have to be the prophet and be the evangelist and be the apostle and be the teacher all in one, then they start falling, they start breaking down. And the reason why, and then, and then the American church always tells me I'm going to burn out because they don't understand the fivefold gifting. They, they don't, it's like they, even mature people in the faith, they don't understand the biblical prescription for leadership. And then they look at my life and they're like, there's no way he could pull it off. You're right, but I'm the apostolic leader. I've raised up teachers, prophets, evangelists. I, I have a whole team doing this thing. I don't lead to, I, I don't preach to you. I preach through you. I don't minister to you. I minister through you. We're a cons- it's like the movie, come out in Jesus' name. They gave me the very last scene in the movie. You are a circle around me, not facing me, but facing outward. And I don't minister to you, I minister through you. And so I'm, I'm, I'm not a celebrity building an audience. I'm a general commanding an army. Let's go out and take some territory together. That's an apostolic gift. Now, let me help you understand this, though. Okay, look at this. Put this up. I'm going to show you how to fulfill each one of these things in our church. And this is probably what Matt was referred to. This has not been done. If you are a teacher, join a connect group, attend it faithfully, devote yourselves to it, and then eventually lead one and, be, and teach. Now, let me use my man Edwin Perez as an incredible example. Bar none, he's got one of the most potent teaching gifts of anyone in our entire global church. Am I right? Come on, it's all right to honor the man of God. So here's the thing. In any other church in America, they would saddle him up with the responsibility of being a lead pastor. But when you're under apostolic leadership, he has connect groups where he teaches that are larger than over 90% of churches in America. He's got one group, first service, I said, hold on, Bree. What did I say, 200 people? I said, he's got one class with 200 people, and he looked at me and and I said, more? He said, well, you know, I ain't going to tell you. I ain't going to say you're lying. How many people are in there? He said, he said, just more than 200. Here's my point in saying that. He doesn't have to have the, the burden of being the apostolic lead pastor. But because he's the teacher, he leads 200 college students with me. Then he has a class. One class alone has almost 300 people in it because he's functioning in his gift. And so some of you, you're saying that V1 Church has a lid on it. No, it doesn't have a lid, it has processes. And if you'll go through the process, see the average church in America will never, over 90% of churches in America will never break 200, did you know that? That's why most of you came from a church of less than 200 people and you're trying to impose Constantinian, the Emperor Constantine has programmed your mind and you're trying to bring into my world this false Christianity. 
And a lot of the problems you had with V1 is you trying to like, but where's this, this, and this? We don't do that here. That's why we're all free. That's why we're all dancing and jumping during worship because we don't have to do it like that anymore. There's a level of freedom. So my point is the gift of teacher. Some of you, you don't have to leave V1 church and start your own church just to teach. You can have classes of over 200 people. The next one, evangelist. If you're an evangelist and you have that gift, join 3P and go out with the other people in 3P and evangelize to your entire neighborhood and your community all across America and even in other countries. 3P is a system that I created called Preach, Pray, and Prophesy. And people go out into the streets and they prophesy and they preach, over, preach to people and evangelize. And so if you're an evangelist, go into your city and evangelize. You know, the first sermon I ever preached in my life, I was asked to preach it. Every sermon I ever preached in my life, I was asked to preach it. Don't ever, if you're called to evangelize, don't ever feel the burden of opening doors for yourself. God, if God gave you the gift, he'll open the door. You don't have to politic. Don't worry about nobody sees who I am. If, if the Lord gave you the gift, he knows who you are. The Bible says that he promotes. You don't have to worry about that. I've never once asked any pastor to take their stage. And I've preached all over the world because the Lord opens the door. And so evangelists, some of you, it's like, you're not the preacher, you're the evangelist. You've got to go into the streets. You've got to preach. You'll start a movement. And so anyways, what I was going to say is the very first sermon I ever preached at 15, I preached another man's pulpit in South Chicago, and that door opened to me. Well, guess what? No other doors opened for a little while, and I had like fire shut up in my bones. And I remember the Holy Spirit speaking to me and saying, Mike, go and evangelize. This is your season of evangelizing. So every Sunday, church would be over. And this is young, this is 16-year-old Mike Signorelli. My best friend was Puerto Rican, praise God. And I would go to his house. His mom would make us Puerto Rican food every Sunday. We would get real full and we would go out into East Chicago, the harbor. We would go to South Chicago and we would evangelize every single block. We would have maps and we'd break down every single block. I had an intercessory prayer team at 16 years old. We would pray over every single block and by quadrant. And then we would hit those streets. There would be gang violence There'd be bullets. We literally could hear them whizzing past us. We would have all kinds of gang activity. Many of you in Northwest Indiana know that environment, but I never once got mad at a pastor for not asking me to preach because I had more than enough work to do in preaching in the streets. And then when that season was over, I started to get other opportunities. So don't ever blame the church. If you're an evangelist, go out and evangelize, okay? If you are a shepherd, if you feel the desire to actually pastor people, which pastoring is not preaching, that's a separate gift. I'm trying to help break this down because we've melded them all into one and it's so much confusion in the church. Pastoring is sitting with people. It's going through their pain with them. It's working on their marriages. It's taking time to listen. Pastors are better listeners than talkers. A good pastor knows how to hear. And, and there was a season of our church where I would do seven 
five to seven pastoral counseling sessions a night, Monday through Friday, and we would stack them. And Evan pretended to be my secretary, and he would, this is a true story, Evan would pretend to be my secretary and sit in the front office, and then they would come in all night, and I would, would do seven appointments a night. That's all I could do. That's seven hours of pastoral counseling when the, before I had our other pastors. And so why do I say that? If you're a shepherd, graduate from V1 College. Watch all the lectures in their entirety because we can tell when you don't because the system tells us how much percentage you watched. The new V1 college students are like, mm-hmm. and then go into our year two where I can train you to be a shepherd. Shepherds, they lead the sheep and sheep are dumb. They, sheep, they fall into holes and don't even know the hole was there. That's what it's like to be a pastor. Well, you did it again. I don't know. I just walked over there and fell right back into that sin again. Give me your phone. (laughs) This is what shepherding is. And you got to learn to love them. And then if you pet them too much, they get used to you petting them. And then when you withdraw their hand, they bite your hand. So you got to pet them just enough. And then you got to release them. Okay, now go do some ministry. I don't want to. I want to be pet by you. No, no, no. No more counseling. Now go do what I taught you. This is the work of shepherding. I've done it for 25 years of my life is sitting with people. Okay, you're healed enough. And then my favorite, Josh Hampshire taught me this one, you know, is, you know, you guys see that famous picture of Jesus holding the shepherd on his shoulder or holding the sheep on his shoulders. Josh said, when you study true shepherding, that you, a shepherd does that because when, when one sheep keeps running away from the flock, they actually snap their legs break them and then put the sheep on their shoulders and carry them for a season. Then when their legs heal, they'll be like, you won't run again. (laughs) So that picture of Jesus holding the sheep is after Jesus broke that sheep's legs. (laughs) Come on, that'll preach. I don't even have time for that one. Some of y'all need your legs broken. Stop going to that other church in New Jersey. Stop going to that church in Connecticut. Stop. Oh, I just received from them. Oh, I get a little from Mike and a little bit from this pastor. Uh, you, listen, you, some of you need your legs broken because God's called you to devote yourself to fellowship and you can't fellowship everywhere and be devoted. If you're fellowshipping everywhere, you're a consumer. But if you fellowship one place and a devoted, you're a builder. God called us to build his house, not to siphon off what we need from every house. You know, I really like this mom's uh, directives at this house. And, the, and so I go to her for advice. But then this other mom that lives on my block cooks real good. So I eat dinner over here. And then this other mom, I go to her house because I really like the decor and it's comfortable. So I chill around her house. And then this, if we treated physical parents how we, we treat spiritual parents, it would be real obvious. But God wants us to settle into one house. Okay, do y'all still love me? If you're a prophet, now listen, I want to release prophets. I want to release prophets, but what do we do? We have a lead prophet. His name's Josh Hamstra. Submit yourself to Josh Hamstra's leadership as a prophet, and then we will develop you, and then this is what, become consistent enough to show mature fruit, and the thing the Lord showed me was the prophet Samuel was raised from a child in the temple with Eli. And so no matter, however high you want to go as a prophet is determined by how long you stay in the process. And so the prophet Samuel was in that, in that temple from a child learning to hone the voice of God. 
is that good? Does that help you? So we do believe that you have a prophetic gift, and I want you to prophesy. Matter of fact, once a year, we release what's called a prophetic presbytery, and in the week after Christmas, in the start of the new year, we qualify who has been through this process, and we release them to prophesy over our entire church, and some of the words they release have already come to pass. Am I right? So if you're a prophet, we want you to prophesy, but can I just take it back to Acts chapter 2, verse 41? And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread. Watch. If you can't devote yourself to my teachings, I'm not devoting myself to your prophecies. If you can't take notes on my sermons, I'm not taking notes on your prophecies. There's got to be this, if you can't fellowship with me, If you can't come into fellowship with this house, but God called you to prophesy to this house, we're not listening to it. And I just got to set some things in order. Now, there's men like Jeremiah Johnson. He hit me up. Pastor Mike, you are an apostle, and the Lord's called me as as a prophet to your house. And this guy is insane. I was in Switzerland doing a conference for every charismatic Pentecostal pastor in the entire country. And I said, Jeremiah, God gave me a list of things for this region that I'm to deal with. Can you tell me what the Lord showed you? And without seeing my list, he literally set it in order over the phone. He said, I see one, two, three, four, five. And he listed them and I'm reading it off my paper like, can he, are we FaceTiming? So God calls people from the outside of our house, but it's, it's, there's an order to the way in which he does it. Does this make sense? And so there's people who have come into V1 and and under the spirit of God have said, I want to prophesy. I'm like, we don't even know your name yet. And so we have to see fruit that remains. We have to see character under fire because what happens with prophecy is it's not just a release of your, of the word, of the, the word, but it's also an impartation of your character. And prophecy is easy. The Bible says that even Saul in the company of prophets came under the spirit of prophecy and began to prophesy. And we know Saul didn't have any character. So it's possible to get into the atmospheres that V1 creates when we're worshiping and you feel the spirit of prophecy activating a gift of prophecy, but that doesn't mean that you have the wisdom to yet release that word. I'm okay with it being quiet. The Lord told me I was teaching today and it's gonna be real quiet. If you're an apostle, I honor that. I am not the only apostolic leader that we have. Matter of fact, I've already given prophecies to other people I've identified with the same gifting and you know who you are. Let me tell you what you must do. Faithfully submit yourself to the processes of V1 Church and demonstrate the ability to make leaders that make leaders. See, apostles don't just make followers. A lot of times preachers make followers because people love to hear their preaching. And so they end up building these big audiences of followers But the hallmark of an apostolic leader is that the fruit of their ministry will be leaders that actually make other leaders. And if you look at my life, I don't just have a lot of people listening to me. I have made leaders that make other leaders. That's what apostolic leaders do. And so if you are called to be an apostle, we we will take you on a journey to unlock that. But this is the way you do it. So the lid isn't the church. It's It's your inability or your unwillingness to complete a process. 
Joseph was going to be second in command of Egypt, but needed to go through a process. Moses was going to deliver a nation, but had to go through a process. David was going to be the king, but had to go through a process. Deborah was going to ransom a nation, but had to go through a process. And so it's simply that the thing about V1 that may be triggering some of you is that we have a process. And the, the way that I learned process is the template that God set in scripture. As a matter of fact, I went back and again, I, I said I could do a three-hour sermon on this. Reread this week the book of Galatians. Because when you read the book of Galatians, the apostle Paul feels this burden to help explain to everybody, hey, I know I'm calling myself an apostle, but I did go through a process and my process was a little different than the other guys, but here's what it is. And before I tell you what God wants me to tell you, I'm going to tell you the process I went through. And then maybe you'll listen to the rest of what I'm writing in this letter to Galatia. Am I going too deep or am I good? Just... So now you got people who get up on stage and they have never gone through a process, but they want you to listen authoritatively to what they're saying. But when you go back to the early church before Constantine, it was so understood that you had to go through a process that even the apostle Paul uses the book of Galatians to say, yo, here's how I went through a process. So therefore you should listen to me. So the idea that you would log into Instagram and just listen to somebody but not know their process, the idea that you would go on a YouTube and listen to somebody every week on YouTube but not know their process, that would never happen 2,000 years ago. And Matt, maybe this is what nobody's saying because, they, because the people that you're learning from, they never went through a process so they can't teach you something they've never done. Oh, Lord. Yeah, that's all right. You can slow clap it in if you want Okay, we're going to pick up the pace because I'm going to do this expeditiously. Number two, the church fails when we fail to love and unify. John chapter 13, verse 35 says, by this, all people, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So the, let, me, let me say this. This was not love the world, even though we are called to love them with the love of Christ. It was actually love other believers. Love one another. Love one another. Tell your neighbor, I love you. It's hard, but I love you. <laughs> this isn't what we go through. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3. Therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love. But number, verse three, convicted me so deeply. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Eager. Like, when I look at the American church where there's a lot of people eager to take this stage and preach from it. They're eager to lead worship. They're eager to make a website and a ministry. They're eager to go make money in Christian entrepreneurship. They're eager for all these things that ironically serve themselves. But I, but it was, the apostle said, you should be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. Like, oh, I mean, what if we woke up and we were like, I am eager to come and unify this campus in New York City. I'm eager to show up and unify Long Island. I'm eager to unify. They were eager to do that. They felt like this is my mission. My mission is to be eager to unify. Okay, number three, the church fails when 
the church embraces the world's values. Part of this sermon, the Lord told me, he's like, this is not gonna be the flashiest one you've ever preached, but this is going to explosively grow the mission of V1. Hear me, I'm gonna be very self-aware right now. Some of you think that when I'm talking about the alphabet community and when I'm talking about gender and I'm, when I'm ta- that I don't realize that I'm foaming from the mouth and scream preaching and going off and you just think I'm so isolated in my own Christianity that I don't realize how much it embarrasses you, embarrasses your friend. I, I just wanna say this publicly, I know what I'm doing. And I know that some of you start to squirm in sermons I know that what I'm preaching, you're like, yep, that's why I didn't invite my friend this week. But you have to understand that I have been preaching the word of God for many years now. And I have seen what the word of God boldly preached will do. And I'm not giving you my opinion about gender. I'm not giving you my opinion, opinion about the alphabet community. And I'm not trying to embarrass you or make you feel awkward And I also understand the complexity of those issues and can deal with it on an intellectual or philosophical level. And I could do a seven-part series where we bring in counselors and psychiatrists and psychologists. I understand it on a biological level. I can bring in doctors and medical professionals and scientists. But when I'm speaking, that's not the absence of wisdom. That's not the absence of tact. That is me simply saying I have many people listening to my messages and sometimes I have one shot to deliver the word of God unapologetically within seconds before someone clicks off or decides not to listen. My ministry has had multiple repeated occurrences of homosexuals leaving the lifestyle, getting completely free, including from the desires as reported by them over time And many of them are even married and now have children. My ministry and my preaching has produced the context where multiple, this is repeatable, multiple drag queens have left that life and surrendered their wigs and makeup and all their stuff. It has, it's not a one-time freak occurrence. So when you start getting the fruit that I get, I might listen to you. But until then, I'm going to keep making you feel awkward. I'm going to keep scream preaching it. And I'm going to keep delivering the word of God because I'm not bold about my opinion. I have to uphold the scriptures. Marriage is not what D.C. Washington, D.C. has a definition for marriage, but God has a definition of marriage. It's not my opinion. Even when the American government is wrong, I've got to say what the truth of God is. And here's what might surprise you. Your friends that you think would be embarrassed to hear the way I deliver it might get saved under the anointing. Because see, you don't understand preaching. Preaching is is very multidimensional. And so what happens when a man or woman of God is preaching is the words will, will always fail. So for those of you who feel called to preach, the words are never enough. If If your words are enough and they're sufficient to get the job done, you don't need God and you don't need the anointing. So the way preaching actually works, because some of you have grown arrogant, and you're like, oh, you know, I would say it like this. He's not delivering with wisdom. Let me just tell you, you don't understand the multidimensional reality of preaching. Because when I preach, the Holy Spirit co-labors with me. 
and, and my human voice is coming through their ears, but actually his Holy Spirit is beginning to work on them. And he, there's something happening on the inside of them and there's things being confirmed and it might not make sense to you, but it's locking in with them. And it might not even be the right delivery for you, but it's the right delivery for them. And there, it, there's a multiple dimensions by which things are happening. And you're judging on one dimension, but not acknowledging the 17 other dimensions that the word is working in. So here's the thing, if you, okay, <laughs> this might get me in trouble, Evan. Our movie got rejected by the most, by the most popular Christian movie studio because it was too extreme. Our movie is being finished by the most popular secular movie studio who told us that we have to delete their entire identity out of our credits because they're going to finish the movie, but they can't, they can't be attached to it because the messaging. And, and when, and when I got that news from Evan, I said, we, we were just told that we're approved by heaven because if your movie doesn't offend Christian people, it's because you're not preaching the gospel unapologetically. And if your movie gets accepted by the same team that made Barbie and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, it's also compromised. So what I just heard is that we preach the unapologetic, uncompromised word of God in a movie, and the, and the compromised Christians won't accept it, and the, and the movie industry, so I think we got a winner. And so it's the same way with the things of God. So the church fails when we embrace the world's values. And I'm, I, it's just, I'm never going to apologize for telling you what the Bible actually says. We're almost done. The church fails. And this is major, number four. When we fail, when we neglect sound doctrine. Second Timothy chapter four, verse three through four says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but will have itching ears they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. I think that time is here. That word used to be prophetic 2,000 years ago. I think we're living in it. But watch this. I'm going to blow your mind now. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says steadfast adherence. It says faithful commitment, devotion. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They devoted themselves to it. Watch. Look at this. For the time will come where, will it, where they will not endure sound teaching. So see, the devotion gets deleted. And they will have itching ears and they will accumulate themselves. Now let me give you the, the breakdown for this. If you go from sermon to sermon, church to church, YouTube to YouTube, Instagram to Instagram, waiting to find somebody saying the thing you want to hear, you have developed itchy ears. Now let me explain. Hey, I just found out, you know that phenomenon where you, you know how you're not supposed to put a Q-tip in your ear? You know why I still do it? It feels so good. I didn't know not everybody feels that sensation, but I know I shouldn't do it. Forgive me. I know we got some nurses in here like, oh, Pastor Mike, we're praying for you. But I go, I, I'm like, yeah, now it's clean. So there's this itching ears because what happens is when you go to satiate that itch, it feels so satisfying. What happens is this. I have two children. 
I don't let my children eat whatever they want because they want to eat cake and chocolate and candy all day. And so if I, as a parent, only gave my kids what they, I love the emotional piano behind this, they would end up morbidly obese with rotten teeth in their mouth. So when I'd look at my nine-year-old and they say, Everly, you must eat broccoli. I'm not commanding her to eat broccoli out of cruelty. I'm simply saying that it's not dessert if it's all you eat. What makes it dessert is that you've eaten the meat, you've eaten the potatoes, you've eaten the broccoli and vegetables, and now this is a little treat on top of the meat. The problem is we've nullified the concept of a dessert because we have access to cake all day. And so sometimes it's such a tremendous burden to lead a church And I'm sharing that burden with you because I'll be preaching what the Lord wants you to hear, but you'll abandon the devotion to the fellowship to go hear what you want to hear. And like a good parent, whether it's me or any one of our other pastors is trying to give you broccoli. And sometimes there can be an obstinance like, I don't want broccoli. Well, I don't want broccoli either, but I love what it does to my body. And so sometimes even on Sundays like this, mark my words, come this November, our attendance will triple and you'll be standing in services with no seats and you'll see all these new people that are coming in November and you'll realize that I laid a sure foundation so that we can contain that which God has entrusted us with because sometimes these things aren't sexy sometimes these things don't tantalate but this is the richness that God lavishes us with his love that he would bring us into a house of stability when people are seeking feelings It says this, for they will accumulate for themselves teachers who suit their own passions. Isn't the lie of the church that we will help you fulfill your passion? No, we come together so that we fulfill the desire and the passions of God's heart. I don't have my own passion. Matter of fact, my passions led me down a deep road of despair. I used to be passionate about music to the detriment of my family. I used to be passionate about a lot of things. Actually, the greatest freedom of my life said, God, what are you passionate about? I want to fulfill your desire. God, what are you passionate about? And then I found myself serving coffee in the coffee team. I found myself standing at the door being a greeter. I found myself playing the drums for the local church and playing songs I didn't even like because I said, God, the lie of the American church is that God will help you fulfill your passion. But the word of God is, Lord, what are you passionate about? I want to fulfill your desire. I want to do your will. You don't work for me, God. Even Paul started many of his letters. I, a prisoner of the gospel, Lord, I'm here. Whatever you want to do. The church fails when it neglects outreach. And, and when we become insular and focus only on internal matters, this is number five, we can't, we, we can't fulfill the great commission. When, when it's all about us, did you know that V1 Church, we give to so many other ministries and we donate to organizations and every year we release a report that shows you how much money goes out. You, I would never ask you to give 10% of your income unless I could show you that 20% of V1's income is going out. Part of the reason why we grow so much is because as we, the Bible says the world of the generous gets larger and larger and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. That's the book of Proverbs. And so we're a church that believes in outreach. 
And right now we have a group of people, black, white, Hispanic, young, old, male, female, a diverse group of people in Western Ukraine that are ministering. And I want to show you a message that they sent us just this morning. They're already on now. I just was talking to them, ministering to another church. But, you know, but before we show this, this, this video, before we, they, they tap into this service, when I first met Florian, his marriage was on the rocks. No intimacy in his marriage. No direction for his life. He was one of my first interns. And I remember saying, Lord, this man's like 20-some years older than me. How do I lead him? The Lord said, break him and then build him back up. And now when I saw this video, I wept because he's with his wife in Western Ukraine ministry. When I first met, when I first met, yeah, come on, somebody. When I first met Chris and Heather Wrigley, I remember Heather took me aside to the, to the Starbucks. Remember this, Julie? A church just got over. Our church was a single location on Long Island, brand new. And I didn't even know, hardly even know her. And she said, Pastor Mike, help me. He keeps relapsing into opiates. He keeps getting high. I don't know what I'm going to do. I feel like I'm going to lose Chris. I feel like Chris is going to die. I, I, and, and then she would say, I have a call on my life, but how am I going to fulfill my call if my husband can't fulfill his call? And what's God going to do? And when I saw this video and I saw Chris and Heather Wrigley together, arm in arm, and then she, you know, you know, they're ministering together. I just said, Lord, this is what outreach does. See, sometimes the fastest way to heal your own life is to go heal someone else's life. Your sanity is in your serving. Sometimes when you stop making it about me and you start making it about we, it's not about the me, it's about the we. It's about us coming together. Sometimes you got to get out of yourself. Sometimes you got to go serve other people. So guys, can you just put your hands together for our Ukraine team as they give us a message from Ukraine? Hey everyone, we are in Western Ukraine in... Ushkarad. <laughs> and we are worshiping with you today and along with our Ukrainian brothers and sisters here. And we have come on mission, we're on assignment to serve alongside our Ukrainian friends and brothers and sisters. And we are serving with orphans and widows and uh, we're going to be ministering in a hospital for uh, soldiers who have been wounded, um, and it's a it's a honor and a privilege for us to be able to be here today. And one, two, three, love our church. Come on. I would give anything to go back to Heather and show her that video and say, this is Chris, free and sober for years now, right alongside. I'd give anything to say, Florian, this is you and your wife standing in Ushkorod, free, whom the sun sets free, is free indeed. I feel the peace of God all over this message today. And this is number six. The church fails when we lack accountability. 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 19 and 20 says, Do not admit a charge against an elder, which also could be a pastor, except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all, so that the rest may stand in fear. Can I just say that there are many of you that have been hurt and wounded by pastors that were not held accountable. Can you just say that word with me, accountability? That's not a cuss word. 
And for most of this sermon, I've been trying to hold you accountable as the individual. But I also believe that the church fails when we don't hold leaders accountable. And for as many tragedies as that have happened, it seems like we always make excuses for the lead pastor, but we always, we, we give reasons for why he did it. But then we excommunicate the congregation members that do the same thing. And, and it's so funny how the pastors and the leaders are always the victims, even when they victimize other people. And so, you know, God will use one pastor where another pastor failed. God will heal you from the wounds of one leader because he'll show you another leader. And, and God always does this. So I just want to say there was a situation years ago that I mediated in Northwest Indiana and first Timothy chapter five, verse 19 through 20 was not fulfilled. And I felt like the Lord told me in this, I heart my church series that I was to put an end to something and that I was to put some closure specifically for the Indiana campus. But as I do that, that people in New York City and Long Island and California and Miami and New Jersey, we're all gonna receive healing as well. It says, don't admit a charge against an elder except for on the evidence of two or three witnesses. So you can do it, but make sure you can prove it. But then verse 20 says, if they persist in that sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. What kind of fear? The fear of God. And so what never happened in that situation is an open rebuke in front of all. There should have been a rebuke of that leader because the rebuke of that leader would have produced the fear of God in the people. But where there is no fear of God, chaos rules. So I just want to say when you persist in infidelity, that disqualifies you. When you persist in adultery, that disqualifies you. And the recourse for that sin should be you surrendering your title and position and your church and somebody who's qualified by biblical qualifications coming in to direct and lead those people. And the open rebuke will, will actually produce the fear of God in the people. And so I just want to close that chapter for some of you in Indiana, for some of you in the other campuses and say, just because somebody was not held accountable doesn't mean that true accountability doesn't exist. And I want to tell you this story as we come to a close. Would you stand your feet with me? My sister Mallory first moved to New York. And she felt that she was called to help lead the kids department. Her greatest desire was to be somebody who worked with kids and teaches them the word of God. She went to college to become a teacher. Then she shows up to New York. Her very first day in New York, we went, I said, hey, I'm going to take you to get a Long Island bagel. Whew. And all of a sudden, she gets ready to order the bagel. And she goes up kind of like a Midwesterner. Um, I think I'll have... Um, and she says that twice. And all of a sudden, the guy goes, come on, what do you want? Now... All the New Yorkers know we move at a very different pace. And my whole life living in Indiana, I always felt people, no offense, Indiana, but that they talk too slow, they move too slow every day. I'm like, come on. And maybe it's just my own ADD or something. But then when I got to New York and I saw the pace of New York, I was like, oh, it just feels right. All the New Yorkers are like, yes, come, yes. And so Mallory, on the other hand, see, in the Midwest, you go all the way up to the cash register, and then you make up your mind. In New York, you already know what you want by the time you get up to the counter. Am I right? All the New York are like, yeah, yeah. And then if you go there enough, they already know what you want. 
Okay, yeah, the eggs and then some ketchup and then you want salt and pepper, right? Oh, no, no, I don't want that. And then as soon as you say no, they're okay, I know chopped cheese. That's what you want. Because they know you here. Now, fast forward, Mallory. Um, um, and the guy's like, come on, what do you want? And then the guy behind her is like, yeah, come on. Because, <laughs> you know, in New York, everybody will gang up on you. They'll jump you in that deli. And so everybody's getting up. Mallory's like, oh, my God. So she literally has a panic attack. I'm not kidding. I know we shouldn't be laughing about it. It's okay to laugh. She, I asked her permission to tell this story last night. And she's like, I just wanted a bagel. I'm like, you didn't know what bagel you wanted. That's your problem. So here's my thing. She's going now through V1. She's leading our kids. She only had 10 kids. This is when we were a single location. One, my daughter breaks her arm in V1 kids. Everly, remember that? Someone else's kid destroys one of the, uh, the, the movie theaters things. I mean, and it, Mallory was like, I can't even lead 10 kids. I'm a failure. But I kept telling Mallory, stay accountable. You're walking out of a life of sin. You're walking in righteousness. And Mallory, you're not just going to lead one campus worth, worth of kids. You're going to lead many. And she's crying saying, I have panic attacks trying to order a bagel in New York. The kids are breaking their arms. I can't do this. And I'm like, Mal, you can do it. Well, one morning I was sitting in my office and clear as day, the Holy Spirit said, Mallory's gone. Mallory's gone, clear as day. So I text Mallory, I said, Mallory, where are you? And she said, why? <laughs> and I said, Mallory, where are you? And she says, oh, I'm just hanging out. I said, no, the Holy Spirit just told me you're gone. Where are you? She didn't respond. So I pick up the phone and I call her and I said, Mallory, tell me where you're at. And you know what she said? She said, last night, I just realized I can't do this. I got in the car and I'm driving all the way back to Indiana. I quit. I can't do this. I didn't tell anybody. I just left. I put all my stuff in my car and I'm gone. I can't do this. I said, Mallory, the Holy Spirit busted you out to me and told me that you were gone. Get back in the car, turn around, come all the way back because you're going to fulfill what God told, told me you're going to fulfill. And you are going to be accountable. So Mallory, she said, okay, Michael. And she got back in the car, drove all the way back. That was when the breakthrough happened. She came back and things just started clicking. The oil started flowing. And man, last couple days ago, I was crying because I was on my friend Vlad Softchuk's channel and I had shared this quote. I said, sometimes you're Billy Graham and sometimes you're the, you're the kids worker that's leading Billy Graham to Christ. And I saw my sister put this, this video up of her teaching the kids. And she put that quote there and had the music. And I started to cry. And I said, Mallory, you're fulfilling the vision that only could come to pass through accountability. You are now leading campuses of kids. You're doing what God called you to do. You're not running away. You're running towards your purpose. So accountability is not to disqualify you from ministry. Accountability isn't to call you out. Accountability is to call you up. It's to call you in. Accountability is to raise you up. And for some of you, we're not calling you so because we're mad at you. We're not calling you. Some of you have such a deep condemnation in you where actually we see something on the inside of you. And if you keep running from church to church, we can't develop it. If you keep going, if you keep finding people who agree with you, we can't be iron that sharpens iron. It's through disagreement that you're sharpened. It's through another perspective that 
rods are sharpened. Accountability isn't for your destruction. Accountability is to destroy the old you so that the true you can come out. So the real you can come out. Baby, this is the love that we have for you. Last but not least, we got there. You guys told me do all seven. The church fails when we fail to adapt. The church fails when we fail to adapt. What do I mean by that? Resisting necessary change is resisting your breakthrough. It's resisting your next level. Can I tell on myself before we end this service? Can I have the prayer team come up at every location right now? Just at every location right now, we're going to have the prayer team come up. I want the Lord to kind of prepare your heart right now. Let's just bring the music down a little bit. So I was raised in very extreme poverty. That means that when something broke, it stayed broken. That means that stuff was dirty. It probably stayed dirty. We tried our best, but it was common to have no carpet, rip the carpet up. It was common to not be able to paint rooms, couldn't afford paint, paint chipping off the walls. This is the residue of poverty. And so what happens is when you get older and that's what you're used to, that's familiar. And so what I realized is that I used to chase the familiarity of poverty. And when God would put me in nice environments, it would trigger me. Who do these people think they are? Who do, what do they think they are? Blah, blah, blah. And I would have that mindset. Who do they think? And if people had nice things or nice clothes or nice whatever, I would judge them. Now, first, you remember that, Julie? Harshly, I would judge them harshly. Who do they think they are for having that car? Who do they think they are for having that outfit? Who do they think? Because in my neighborhood where I was raised, this is going to reveal a little bit more. You know, if somebody got a new share, a new pair of shoes, like they had those Nike Air Maxes. In my neighborhood, and when I, where I went to school, in the recess, they would push that kid down and take a pencil and pop that Air Max. And, and put it, and it was their way of saying, if we don't get it, you don't get it either. Have you ever heard of a rat king? Anybody ever heard the phenomenon of a rat king? So a rat king is you put a couple of rats together in a cage and you starve them until one rat eats the other rats. Then you put another rat in that cage more rats and that rat and you see and they what you do is you teach these rats to cannibalize and eat each other and then one rat keeps graduating to the next level of rats and then finally you release that one rat into the city and it eats every other rat and it trains rats to eat each other and there's a lot of people operating under the spirit of the rat king and christians eating other christians they, they think the only way they can be elevated up is by tearing somebody else down. I was that person. I had a whole website devoted to calling out other pastors and ministers. My social media, there was another season where it did go viral. <laughs> My wife's looking at me, please don't tell them they're going to look it up. Because I would call people out and thought it was my job. And the reason why I say this is because when we fail to adapt, so for me, it was like I was triggered. 
Matter of fact, some of you are attending our V1 Long Island campus where I've spent a lot of money to renovate and flip it. You guys see my house. You see the way I carry myself. You see what I drive. And you're like, this is crazy. How did you become this? Because the Lord began to show me that I was operating out of an orphan spirit and a poverty spirit. And the Lord showed me I was operating out of woundedness. And the Lord showed me that I was operating out of pain. And so what happens is the Lord will bring you to a church like this and you'll be like, who does she think she is? I have discernment. No, you have wounds. You're not discerning anything. Actually, that person you're fighting against, she's hurting too. And she needs your love and she needs your compassion. And you didn't discern anything. Matter of fact, it's your woundedness. It's not discernment. It's a wound. Oh, I really see Pastor Mike. No, if you really saw me, you'd be praying for me because this isn't easy. If you really saw me in the spirit, you'd be lifting me up. You didn't see, you didn't see what you think you saw. You saw, you saw through the eyes of a wound and see this, this, this unity that we have. This is now you understand why they were eager to unify. They were eager to love. Why? Because that eagerness was saying, I'm eager to heal. Oh, profound revelation. I'm eager to be somebody else's source of healing. And so for me, I would get triggered and I kept seeking environments that fulfilled the familiarity of the wound. So some of you will attend this church and you'll gossip here, even though no one else is gossiping to make it feel like the traumatic wounded experience you had at the last church. And you'll recreate the same darkness if you can't find that darkness here. And you'll, you'll call it prophecy. You ain't no prophet. Not yet. You'll call it discernment. I call it negativity. But the Lord wants, but that's not who you are. That's not who you are. Oh, there's so much more I can say. But I'm not going to say it, Julie. Don't worry. But I got to be this real because I do this series once a year. And it's when I just take every pretense and I just destroy every bit of idolatry. And once a year, we just say, okay, let's undress. Let's take our clothes off. Let's get naked before the presence of God. Let's stop hiding stuff. And a lot of you guys here are still dealing with some things that the Lord wants to heal. Paul operated in such a level of humility. When you read the epistles, Paul is constantly saying, hey, please listen to me here's why you should there's just so much humility and what i think the early church needs is humility back in and some of you got to admit right now and this is why i'm doing this across every campus and then we're going to pray we're going to sing out this song again and then we're going to pray for you at the altar as i want you to admit that when you were a kid when you went to the playground you prayed or you played with every single person that you could and you said my name's so and so but you got wounded through life and that woundedness changed your original personality you weren't racist you weren't sexist you weren't anti-people when you were a kid you would play with anybody in the playground and so the father has brought you back to this place where he's saying okay let me take you back to the real you let me take you back to that place where you trust again and it's not that you're trusting people. It's that you're trusting the Holy Spirit inside of people. So when you join V1 Church, and many of you are joining our church through this series, believe me, you're not trusting Mike Signorelli. 
You're trusting the Holy Spirit in me just like I'm trusting the Holy Spirit in you. The reason why we've raised up so many prophets is not because I trust people. It's because I trust the Holy Spirit in them. The reason why I'm raising up teachers and preachers and campus pastors and worship leaders, everybody, all the pastors ask me, what's your secret? Why do you have so many more leaders than I've ever seen? I said, because I learned to trust the Holy Spirit on the inside of other people. I know that people fail, but I trust the Holy Spirit. He started this church through resurrection power and he will see it through till completion so right now here's what I want you to do I'm going to pray over you and then when I say amen if you need to receive more prayer from a prayer team member if you need to get over a wound if you're still nursing and rehearsing a wound from another church person another pastor if you're still dealing with that I want you to come up and receive prayer next Sunday We're going to hear from some of the most powerful voices in our church as they share stories about how they went through a process. And you're going to see how God took them on the same journey. Some of you are going to be sitting in your seat saying, I was in this place. I I didn't even know that that person's just like where I'm at now. So next week, you got to come back for part three. But what God's dealing with right now in part two is he's dealing with wounds. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you that right now you are beginning to highlight things where we've recreated patterns of trauma, where we've actually put the expectations on somebody that's unrealistic. God, that we have actually stepped into some sort of uh, of pain and neglect, but God, you're calling us out to heal us, God. Lord, I thank you that you're causing things to come into alignment today. And God, you're giving us hope right now. Lord, that you're releasing hope that we will rise up and fulfill the fullness of your desire for our life. And God, I thank you that we can say, I love my church. That somebody right now is being free to say, this is my church. This is my pastor. This is my people. And Lord, I thank you that we're stepping out of the traumas. We're stepping out of the triggers. We're not going to recreate the places we came from, but we are going to say your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Can somebody shout, let it be so. Come on, as we begin to sing out right now, just come forward.